Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Surely You Can't Be Serious podcast. We are here for part two of our Use Your Illusion 1 album coverage. We're going to start going through track by track here in just a second. But if you haven't subscribed already, please take the time right now. Hit that subscribe button or that follow button or whatever the button is on the podcast app you're using so that you can get every single one of our episodes, including next week's episode, which is where we're going to cover Use Your Illusion part two track by track once we started talking about this d we realized pretty quickly that we need like an intro episode and then a track by track on usual illusion one and then a track by track on usual illusion two there's just too much stuff to talk about and then a drink (laughs) (laughs) to the bar (laughs) there's an amazing amount of stories behind these songs okay before we get rolling i just wanted to share something last week we had brad moore come on on our shirley showcase and tell us what he thought about 10 versus never mind he communicates with us on facebook all of the time and he has a great story about when black and use your illusion came out he said that when black came out he was not a big fan because it was such a departure from master puppets and and justice for all but he was still a big Guns N' Roses fan. He had been working in a movie theater and he remembers, you know, when the end credits came on for Terminator 2, the You Could Be Mine came on, he said, in the theater speakers, it sounded incredible. He said, on the flip side, he's got mixed feelings about these albums. He said, I had just seen them in Dallas with Skid Row opening, so I had already heard November Rain, Locomotive, and Live and Let Die because they had played them live before the albums were released. My apprehension came from the fact that GNR, mostly Axel, were lousy in that show. Two and a half hours had elapsed before they hit the stage following Skid Row. People started fighting. When they finally came out, Axel sounded awful and someone threw a bottle at him and he lectured the crowd and threatened to stop the show. And they pulled it together, some, and were better as the show went on, but it was obvious that they were starting to unravel. That's interesting. We're going to talk about all those songs and all that unraveling here in just a few minutes. All right. So you ready to jump in track by track? Let's go. Track by track. Use your illusion. One. Before we get going, I just want to point something out. We have been talking to each other now for a couple of years face to face. And one of the reasons that I can do that is because you don't have nose hair. <laughs> have you been talking to people and like you can't even concentrate on what they're saying because of their nose hair? Absolutely. They like talk to you. They like dangle. <laughs> it dangles. Yes, it wiggles. It's it's a total distraction. Absolutely. And so let me let me say, if you are one of those guys, we have a product that is supporting the podcast that you need to check out. It's called the Weed Whacker and it is from Manscaped. It is an amazing product. It trims your nose hair. It's not embarrassing. You just stick it up there. It takes care of it. You're not going to look at people and bother them. Right. And I'm one of those guys who's self-conscious about my nose hair. So somebody that you're going to see me and I'm going to be like yanking them out and wincing in pain. (laughs) Don't do that. There is a special thing that they make. And they've also just released, in addition to the Weed Whacker, they have just released something called the Lawn Mower. If you have other areas of your body that you're looking to trim up. And I'd like to point out that a giraffe is easier to see in the plains than it is in the forest. Oh, that's that's wonderful. Yes, yes, it is. So and it's very it's very good around sensitive areas, if you know what I'm saying. Yeah, they have also an entire shave kit called the Ultra Smooth Package. 
package. <laughs> <laughs> you get the idea. So who it, doesn't want their package ultra smooth? Right, right. So don't forget to go to manscaped.com and use the promo code FANSIDED20 to get 20% off your order and free shipping. Whack it. <laughs> Perfect. First song out of the gate is a song called Right Next Door to Hell. come in with this awesome bass and then a scratch slide of the pick down the strings of the guitar and i'm already like yep they're kicking butt right out of the gate super excited about it everything else comes in drums seem solid they are different i can tell the difference between matt sorum and steven adler but they're still solid. And then Axel starts singing, and I'm like, what? Yeah, what? What kind of? He's like choppy. Can't really understand what he's saying. Yeah, you can't understand what he's saying. There's not a melody to it. I love the music, but when Axel comes in, I'm immediately like, okay, hopefully this will get better. Hopefully it gets better. And eventually I'm like, okay, I'm moving on to the next song. This is a great live song, I think. I'm sure. You know, you're pumping, you're fisting. Hey, what's he saying? I don't care. I'm just rocking out at the concert, having a great time. Sure. This song's got an amazing story behind it. Oh, yeah. That's the best part of this song is the story behind it. Oh, my gosh. The story behind these songs is incredible. So in October of 1990, Axel has a neighbor named Gabriella Cantor, who he called an over-enthusiastic fan. (laughs) And apparently she was bugging him to hang out or whatever. So she calls the cops one night. They're next door neighbors. And she says that he hit her with a wine bottle. Right. He said she was a fanatic. She was a stalker. And she tried to drunkenly attack him. His, I think his wife or girlfriend had Aaron Everly had just had a miscarriage. So yeah. she was in the back room asleep. Yep. This crazy girl comes banging on his door. Yeah. And when he told her to go home and sleep it off, she tried to like wedge her way in the door. Yeah. And she threw her keys at him. Yep. Okay. And so when he finally locked her out, he took her keys and like just chucked them as far as go. Yeah. And he's on the 12th floor. (laughs) Even if he has a really bad arm, it's going to be hard to find those keys. That's right. So he had taken the wine bottle from her, dumped it out. And then he actually called the police. He called the sheriff's department. They just didn't seem interested. Yeah. Are you inside now? Okay. I guess no threat then. Right. Bye. I love that he just chucked her keys as far as he could from 12th story. (laughs) So they weren't interested whenever he called the police. But then she goes downstairs and has the front desk call the police. And she says, he hit me in the head with the wine bottle. And that's enough to get the police over there. And soon (laughs) Axel is walking in handcuffs to a patrol car and spends the next four hours in jail (laughs) until he bonds out. Yeah. So when asked for a comment, what happened, Axel? Give us a comment. He's like, yeah, I live next door to a psycho. (laughs) (laughs) What's interesting is I watched the 
MTV news clip on this one. And the lead into this story was David Bowie and Queen suing Vanilla Ice for stealing the song <laughs> under pressure. Wow. That dates it a little bit. <laughs> yep. There you go. MTV had a contest called Evict Axel, where they gave away this condo. This beautiful Sunset Strip property has everything a rock and roller could ever want. Axel Rose has to move. A bar, a barbecue, and a pool within throwing distance. I'm not saying it hasn't been used, it just hasn't been slept in. Away from the noise of angry neighbors. This wall's only been smashed once. Some guy's head, but it's been repaired. It's like new now. Evict Axel Rose, take possession of his condo, his furniture, his stereo, and his aura. You can have the pad. I'm keeping my aura. MTV ran this Evict Axel contest, which yep. is super funny. And when you look at the pool, you're like, golly, I don't know. They'll, they'll <laughs> never find those keys. A Ohio college student won the uh-huh. condo from MTV. So this song was written by Axel, Izzy Stradlin, who we talked about, quit the band. Yep. And a guy named Timo Caltillo. Yeah. Who is um, a Finnish guitarist mm-hmm. from Finland? He's from. He didn't finish things. <laughs> <laughs> he finished this song. Hey, wait! I've got a crazy neighbor. What a coincidence! Uh, let's, let's write a song. Yeah, he and Izzy had put it together first. Had kind of got the bones of it going, and then Axel has this experience and rounds out the rest of the song. All right, we done with that one. Yep. All right. Next song on the album is called "Dust and Bones." Today, he left it. Okay, so you heard that back on the highway I-65. That is the highway that went through Lafayette, Indiana, where Izzy and Axel grew up together. And according to Axel, this is about some dude getting run over on the highway. <laughs> That's how he lost his mind. This is a bluesy Western saloon feeling song. Totally different than what we got on Appetite. And that's true for so many of these songs. You've got punk rock, you've got classic rock, and you've got a whole lot of blues. Like this is so much more blues based than what we got on Appetite. Yeah, it's interesting because Axel kind of wanted to move towards progressive rock, more Nine Inch Nails type of stuff. Yeah. And Slash was very much, no, we're sticking with the blues. Izzy Stradlin sings lead vocals on this song. This song to me is Aerosmith all over the place. I'm like, I can hear Steven Tyler. And as I'm getting through it, he literally does it. Ah! And if you'll remember from our Aerosmith episode, Slash was the one who ended up with Joe Perry's guitar that he had recorded Walk This Way and all those other icons with. So I think that probably Aerosmith had to be a huge influence on this whole album, but Definitely this song. I would love to hear Aerosmith cover Dustin Bones. Slash plays the voice box on this song. Yeah. We've covered uh, the Richie Samboras and the, we talked about Peter Frampton. Peter Frampton come alive. And yeah. He had, we, and we actually, that story came up when we covered Appetite because there is one song on there anything, that has anything the Anything goes, I believe. Box. Yeah, that's right. Exactly. Axel stopped a show in Denver because there was a fan yelling and flipping him off while he played Middle Dustin Bones. song.
Yeah. Yeah. The song He's like, hold it, hold it, hold it. That dude right there. Get him out of here. Yeah. And then later on, different concert, but also stops because there's a guy in the front row who's got a t-shirt on that has the name of the radio station that played in Lafayette. And he stops and starts talking to the guy. He's like, oh, is, what's his name? Still the DJ over there? Yeah, yeah. That station saved my life. You know, it's like, that was my music. Mecca. That's cool. Yeah. That's cool. Very cool. Okay, so to go along with that blues bass that we are now hearing, you are also hearing for the first time piano on a Guns N' Roses song on True. Dust and Bones. This is the first song that you've got Dizzy Reed playing. That's a whole new thing to the ears of GNR fans. Not a lot of piano on uh, Appetite for Destruction. No. Any? Not, I don't think any. I don't think any. I don't think any. All right, moving on. Song number three, Live and Let Die. You were young and your heart was an open book. the James Bond like trailer <laughs> with this version instead of the Paul McCartney version. I love the Paul McCartney version. Too. Me too. It's great. It, I mean, it was it was a kicking butt song back then. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, you you take it up to Slash's guitar and the hard and distorted sound that it gets. It, I loved it. I love this song when it came out. This was the second single released December 3rd of 91. Got all the way to number 33 on the Hot 100. Yeah. And just in case there's somebody out there who doesn't realize it, this was the theme song for a Roger Moore, James Bond movie yep. called Live and Let Die. Axel said he felt like this was a sequel to Welcome to the Jungle. I could see that. Yeah. Okay. He and Slash were on the phone one night and they would talk back and forth about songs they wanted to cover. Uh-huh. And... This was one that came up that they both loved and that they felt like seems like a hard rock song, even though it's not hard rock. Right. And so they gave it that GNR edge. The middle part when there's a breakdown. And it's the part where he says, what does it matter to you when you've got a job to do? You've got to do it well. You've got to give the other fella hell. He leans on it. You get that great axle vocal right there. That part, I think, is gold. I love it. Matthew McKagan, who is Duff's brother, yeah. is one of the guys who plays horn yep. on this track. Yep. And this one, you get background vocals by Shannon Hoon, who was the lead singer of Blind Melon. He joined them on multiple shows, and he's, he's in a couple in of the videos. Yeah. Yeah, he was in a couple of the videos. He's from Lafayette, Indiana. Oh, there you go. The hometown boy. Here's the funny story for this one. Okay, you ready okay, for this? Yeah. Sir Paul McCartney yes. said that when his kids were at school, kids would be like, yeah, it's a great song. You guys heard that song with Guns N' Roses? <laughs> like, Wait a minute, that's our dad. And they're like, no, 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 that's Guns N' Roses. Though. Paul McCartney's kids were like, our dad wrote that song. That's awesome. <laughs> So the music video for Live and Let Die, right? that's the last appearance as a member of Guns N' Roses for Izzy Stradlin. Oh, yeah. Okay. By the way, if you haven't seen that video in a long time, I there's a great shot at the very beginning. It's a little bitty kid, red hair, got little toy guns, pulls them out. 
and it starts the whole video off. That's Baby Axel. Oh, okay. Yeah. This song was featured in the movie Gross Point Blank. Remember that movie from the 90s? I do. John yes. Cusack? Yeah. Is that the 90s? That's the thing. It's like 10 years ago. <laughs> oh, my gosh. That was, John, that's, that was John Cusack's comeback movie. Yeah. <laughs> they did a fantastic job with this song. Yeah. Okay. Song number four. Don't Cry. This song predates everything. Axel says this is the first song they wrote together. This is the first Guns N' Roses song. That's nuts. Isn't that crazy? Like it's 85, yeah. right? Yeah. They played this at their first concert as Guns N' Roses. Oh, man. This was written by Izzy and Axel. They played it for the first time as Hollywood Rose in 1985. It predates Guns N' Roses. That's right. But it was also on the set list for the first Guns N' Roses concert, June 6th of 1985. This was released September 17th. This is your first Use Your Illusion 1 single. Yep. Reached number 10 in the US. There's a really cool part in the middle of this song. Yeah. It's kind of subtle. It says, uh, give me a whisper. Give me a sigh. Uh-huh. I thought that was pretty cool. Yes. You know what this song is about? No, tell me. Okay. So Izzy Stradlin had been dating this girl. Her name is Monique Lewis. She had been seeing Izzy and they were kind of parting ways. And Axel kind of realized that, hey, I think I really like this girl and I'm going to go for it. And she was moving on to other things and couldn't take the rock and roll lifestyle anymore. And so she said, no, I'm, I can't see you either. And so he started to cry and... She said, don't cry, Bill. <laughs> this is pre-Axel. Right. So it was a song about a girl breaking Axel's heart. Her face is, is tattooed yep. on his bicep. Yep, that's why I had heard that name before. I was just looking it up. I was just like, I'm pretty sure I remember from our Appetite episode that that girl, that's the name of the girl tattooed on Axel's His arm. right bicep. Yeah. You know why they didn't put this on Appetite for Destruction? No. Here's the reason. Axel has said, we wanted to keep this as an ace in the hole because we didn't know if Appetite for Destruction would sell two copies or 10 copies or 200 copies. Right. We didn't want to use every single song that we had in our arsenal. Uh-huh. And we felt like this was a good song maybe to hang on to album number two. Right. Good call. Plenty good. of people bought this album because of that song. Yeah, absolutely. This is my favorite song on the album. Okay. Favorite song on the album. You know, one of the things I want to talk about at the end is what what's the best song on the album? Yeah. What's maybe a uh, song that should have been trimmed? Yep. And then maybe an undiscovered gem for people who are not familiar with this album. Okay. Cool? Yeah. 
Shannon Hoon sings background vocals on this song as well. Yeah, they actually credit him as vocals. Like the the credit for vocals is Axel Shannon. Background vocals Izzy. So wow. he had enough of an impact that they said we're we're giving you credit for the vocals on this one. So I think this song is beautiful. It's sad. Let's talk about the music video for just a second. Okay. All right. Yep. So epic music video directed by Andy Morahan. You have Stephanie Seymour, who is a Victoria's Secret model. Yes. And Axel's girlfriend. The Victoria's Secret model, if you will. She was so hot. Majors. My gosh. So she's dating Axel at this time. Yeah. During the video, they actually wrestle over a gun. Yeah. His character in the video is going to shoot himself, and she's trying to prevent him from doing that. Mm -hmm. And he finally just gives it to her. Yeah. That event actually happened with Aaron Everly in real life. Yeah. Axel was going to blow his brains out. Aaron Everly kept him from doing that. I don't know how you go and recreate an experience like that for a music video, but hey. And just so that we touch on it, apparently in this relationship between the two, Axel was the more stable one. When Stephanie Seymour is the less stable one, you got to know <laughs> she's back half crazy. Yeah. Hot and crazy. That's the deadliest combination known to me. Well, there's that whole continuum, you know, the graph. <laughs> yeah, the, where she's high on that graph. Yeah. So Izzy Stradlin's not in the music video. You actually see a sign in this music video where it says, where's Izzy? Guys, is this the one where Axel wears the Nirvana hat? Oh, right, right. I think this is the, the video that he wore the Nirvana hat. And he ultimately later on ends up burning it. Yeah. On stage. Yeah. The, the love-hate relationship that they, that he had with that band. I've got a great story about this music video. Okay? okay. Yeah. So the director, Andy Morhan. Yeah. He tells a story about how they finally wrapped the video. I'm done with this crazy rock and roll band and his psycho girlfriend <laughs> and all these nutso people. Uh-huh. He's, so he's like, I'm out of here. So he gets on the freight elevator to go down, finally by himself, finally done. And he sees a hand reach in to stop the freight elevator from closing. Uh-huh. And it's none other than Axl Rose getting on the elevator and Stephanie Seymour with him. Okay. Uh-huh. On the way down the elevator, keep in mind, this is just a, just down the elevator. Right. Andy Morhan says, I'm not going to say they were dry humping. But they were dry humping. <laughs> <laughs> and Axel had no care in the world that there was another human being in the elevator with them. Uh-huh. They were basically getting it on in the elevator while this guy is like cowering in the corner. He Excuse said, me. I just need to push floor <laughs> three. Basement for me, please. <laughs> so he said he was having a rock star moment. And that, that was that. Doug Goldstein, who is the manager of Guns N' Roses, when he met Stephanie Seymour, he goes to knock on Axel's door. Yeah. When the door opens, there is Stephanie Seymour, Victoria's Secret model, yes. completely nude, totally oh, wow. naked. Oh, my. The guy's like, uh, uh, hi. And she's like, you can just come on in. He's like, uh, no, thanks. Got to go. Rock wow. and roll craziness. What would you say, dear listener, in that scenario? <laughs> You, you open the door and the Victoria's Secret model is standing there naked as a jaybird. Buck naked. Come on in. Okay. <laughs> I think I'll sit over here. I'll have a Coke. <laughs> One more thing I wanted to mention. In the music video, yeah. Axel is being comforted by a therapist. Yeah. That's his real life therapist. What? Yes. The, the fashion model like bazooms. Mega hot. Oh, my. Therapist. Actual therapist. Why do you think you chose her? She's a good doctor. Very gifted, I'm sure. Yeah. It's really epic. Mm -hmm. The part of the song I can't stand, though, 
You know I'm going with this? Oh, I absolutely do. It's the last note of the song. It's the... Oh, shut up. For like... Just let it in. 30 seconds. Ah, and you can hear Slash come back in with... Ding, dong, 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 ding, dong, Like, could you stop already? That's the part I don't like. Other than that, it's beautiful. Yes, perfect song other than that end. Okay. Are we done with Don't Cry? It's a shame, but I think so, yeah. Yeah, I... <laughs> okay, we're done. <laughs> All right. The next song on the album is a song called Perfect Crime. Okay, so this one, again, is very much like Right Next Door to Hell, where you're kicking butt right out of the gate, you know. Good, riffy, I like it, but again, the vocals fall short for me. I'm with you. I'm with you. It's too choppy. It needs He needs to, like, spread out his vocals. Yeah. He's, I don't know what, he's, what we call this rapping. It's kind of Led Zeppelin-y the way he's doing it, but he's not doing it right. Okay. This fortunately, this one in a album full of really long songs. This right. one's nice and short at two minutes and eighteen seconds. Two twenty, yeah. Yeah, and we just looked at it and just figured it out right at the point that there's a minute and nine seconds left. You can hear Axel say T minus one oh nine and counting. cool it is pretty cool and yes i was ready for it to be over at that point (laughs) this song was almost included on appetite for destruction okay once again another song that predates appetite for destruction because that's the thing like they didn't come to the table with a whole bunch like they didn't get together as a band and write a whole bunch of new songs for this this is all almost all stuff that they had done before which is good because they didn't like each other after the appetite tour right they didn't care they they were done they didn't associate with each other they got together to record their music and do their live shows, and that was it. Slash says there was one time in all of this that they got together at his house, and it was the whole band together, and he said it felt like the old days where we were actually writing music together. But up until that point, the albums had been disjointed, the music had been disjointed, and it was just that one night that they finally kind of glued it all together to make it what we have today. Wow. Perfect Crime was first performed in 1986 at Ackerman Hall at UCLA. Okay. It was like a frat party. <laughs> Toga! Toga! It, it's crazy to think that Guns N' Roses was playing the university circuit at one time. Yeah. That was on Halloween 1986. Nice. Halloween 1986, I'm pretty sure I dressed up as Marty McFly. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Got anything more to say about Perfect Crime? Nope. Moving on to a song called You Ain't the First. One, two, three, one, two, three. Two, three, one, and I tried so hard just to get through to you. One, two, three, one. Two, three. This is in three-four time, and this is a 
acoustic. This is very lies kind of sound. This song belongs on GNR Lies. It does, and it's three four time, which is unusual for a, you know rock band. To be, well, not that unusual, but it's unusual for Guns N' Roses. Little waltz, little yeah. bluesy kind of waltz going on. You ain't the first. This is another fu song. <laughs> this is an fu song to all the girlfriends that we used to have. You ain't the first, and this girl ain't gonna be the last. Not surprisingly, this bluesy one was written by Izzy Stradlin as well. In '93, it was rumored that Axel would dedicate this song to Stephanie Seymour from the stage. <laughs> Crazy Stephanie Seymour, right? Crazy hot, yeah. Sung by Izzy, Axel, and Shannon Hoon again. You got anything else on this one? No. The, well, the 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 guitar that's being played is a dobro style guitar, which has that unique sound, and it's, a, it's you play it with the slide. Okay. I don't know if Slash is playing it on his lap, but generally, when you see the big metal in the middle, that's going to tell you it's a dobro, and it's got this kind of unique sound. I read that, and I had no idea what that meant. I like the part at the very end of the song when they're wrapping it up, and they're like. All right, that's a take. To the bar. You're done, you're done. <laughs> done with this one? Yeah, let's move on. To the bar. That's a take. Moving on to a song called Bad Obsession. There's a harmonica. Hello, harmonica. Oh, cowbell. I got a fever. And the only prescription is more cowbell. This is very honky-tonk. It's huge honky-tonk. So the guy who is playing the harmonica, who also plays the saxophone on this one, is a guy named Mike Monroe. He was the vocalist for the glam punk band Hanoi Rocks, which yes. you've probably heard of. Yes. Hanoi Rocks had the drummer that was killed by Vince Neil. Remember that? In the yes. Dirt? Yeah. Yes. This gotcha. song was written by Izzy and West Arkeen. We talked about him. Mm-hmm. He was a friend of the band. Yeah. Kind of a neighbor, a friendly thing. Yep. West ended up losing his life to drugs. The song is about drugs. Shocker, there were drugs around the band. No. Yes. Wow. I heard Axel talk about how this song actually predates, but acts as a sequel to Mr. Brownstone. Right. A prequel, if you will. It's kind of a prequel. It's This is such a standard kind of honky-tonk song. This is Once Bitten by Great White. This is Keep Your Hands to Yourself by George Satellites. This is Honky Tonk Women by Rolling Stones. This is Jealous Again by the Black Crows. I mean, it's all that same kind of rhythm. That is a whole mess of songs that we need to podcast about right there. (laughs) This is a good song. I like it. Yeah. It's fun. Yeah. It's not really Guns N' Roses. It's not hard rock. No. This, I mean, and that's what we talked about before. If you bought into Guns N' Roses because they were hard rock, this album is throwing you for a loop. There's a lot more stuff going on. Next song is a song called Back Off, Bitch.
Another great intro. This is pure Guns N' Roses to me right Yeah. Here. It's not a great song, but it has all the elements of Guns N' Roses. Yeah. This is another song written prior to Appetite for Destruction. Axel says this song was written in 1981. That's like back in Indiana. Yeah. I mean, that's he's like 18. Yeah, something like that. The dates and times don't really add up. Right. Because he also said that this was written about his girlfriend, Gina Seiler, who moved with him to Los Angeles Mm -hmm. in 1982. She eventually kicked him out because, uh, shocker, he has anger issues. Straighten me up. <laughs> so yeah, this is an old song. A guy named Chris Weber, who was a member of Hollywood Rose, mm-hmm. sued Axel because he said that he wrote this song. Okay. But by the time he got around to suing him, the statute of limitations had ran out. Okay. Izzy plays the guitar solo on this one. Okay. This is one of the 10 songs played that first night when all five original members of Guns N' Roses played on that June 6th, 1985 date. This is an okay song for me, but nothing that I'm going to keep listening to over and over. Nothing fancy? Okay. I do want to point out something. A guy named Paul Hughie. Yeah. He gets writing credit on this. Yes. This is the guy who eventually took Slash's job. So he is a point of contention with the band members, right? Okay. Axel was friends with him in Indiana. He brought him around in the mid-90s and said, hey, I've got this guy I want to bring in. Duff and Slash were like, nope. And he's like, well, just just play with him and just see what you think. Uh Uh-huh. So they're like, okay, fine. We'll play with him. They play with him and they're like, nope. So the song Sympathy for the Devil, the one that came out for the interview with the vampire soundtrack. Yeah. Slash wrote that solo. Yeah. And when he had left, this guy named Paul came right behind him, copied it, but did it himself. Uh-huh. And that was like the straw that broke the camel's back, slashes out. Moving on? Moving on. Moving on. Next song is called Double Talking Jive. Okay, so this one starts off a lot like you could be mine, like that little beginning, but then it comes in with George Thurgood here, right? So once again, they're taking a very standard type of sound, the jive sound, and making their own song out of it, except that they've got lyrics about finding a head and an arm inside of a trash can. Then they've got lyrics, and I'm wondering if this is, it's got to be a reference to Patience, the song, and Lies, the album, right? I think that's clearly a reference to Lies and the song Patience. Yeah. So you dig what I'm saying? I dig what you're saying. All right. Here's the funny part about this song. Okay. okay? Yeah. Axel would dedicate this song to whoever was pissing him off at the moment, right? <laughs> so he has dedicated this to Izzy yeah. in 93. Right. He dedicated this to Lars Ulrich mm-hmm. from the stage. Okay. Get this. He dedicated this in June of 92 to Warren Beatty. Oh, yeah. Because he had like hit on Aaron Everly. He had hit on Stephanie Seymour. Oh, yes. He also dedicated this song to George Bush and Bill Clinton. That set the time for you a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. I guess he was a Ross Perot fan. (laughs) (laughs) Whoever was bugging him at the time. Oh, gosh. Because I got no more patience. 
So you made mention that the head and the arm found in the garbage can, yeah. right? So that was, it's rumored that those were body parts of a porn actor slash director, a guy named Billy London. That's fascinating. Yeah. Okay, so William Arnold Newton had died just the October before, October 1990. He was murdered shortly after completing what would be, obviously, his last film, <laughs> The Grip of Fashion. Newton's dismembered body was discovered by a transient in a dumpster near Santa Monica Boulevard. His murder remains unsolved. This was right outside the studio. I don't know if you know this or not, but Matt Sorum went on Celebrity Ghost Stories, went back to this studio, and they did that whole paranormal thing. Apparently, Matt Sorum is pretty spooked out by it. Yeah. Double talking jive? No more patience. No more lies. All right, let's move on to one of the pillars of the album. One of. This is the pillar of the album, Fair. right? This is the this is the tentpole of all tentpoles of all albums. November 8th. This song is amazing. This song was released February 18th of 1992. It reached number three in the US and is the longest song to ever be in the top 10. At eight minutes and 57 seconds long, it's the second longest song on the album. Mm -hmm. Estranged is longer. Right. But it's the longest song to ever reach the top 10 for the Billboard Hot 100. So I'm going to spoil it for you guys. I'm sorry. I'm sorry to do this, but Axel had been working on the song since before he joined Guns N' Roses, right? Right. Before he put it together. This was the song that when he showed back up to do his part on this album, they had 33 songs in the can. Like the band had done 33 songs ready to go. And Axel could not have cared less about <laughs> any of them. All he wanted to do was work on this song and work it out. And even when they first started with it, he didn't have it completely the way that he wanted it. And so there's this moment where he and Matt Sorum are sitting in the studio after recording. They're just sitting there and they're listening to Elton John. So I'm about to ruin this song for all of the non-drummers out there. The drummers, you probably realize what was going on and it's probably a distraction for you. Until I heard the story, it was not a distraction at all. And now I cannot hear the song without <laughs> being focused on this. It's like hearing the fluorescent lights on. So Matt Sorum and Axel are sitting in the studio after a day of recording. They're eating takeout. They're drinking a glass of wine and they're listening to Elton John. And the Elton John song, Don't Let the Sun Go Down on Me, comes on. And there's a couple of times that this little drum fill comes in on the song, and this is this is what it sounds like. And left me blind by so they're commenting on that little drum fill and Axel says, this is what we need for November rain. That's the drum fill I want. And Matt's like, okay, where? And Axel's like, 
No, that's what I want in every single spot that there's a drum fill. It needs to be that. It's so epic. It's so awesome. We need to have that. So literally that drum fill is played 23 <laughs> times. 23 times. It's crazy, right? So I can't remember who the drummer was that tried to call Matt Sorum out on it and the fact that he played the exact same drum fill 23 times in the same song. But his response was basically, um, 22 million albums sold? How about that? Yeah. It's like, okay, sorry, you're right. Yeah. <laughs> I'll shut up. It's the same drum fill 23 times. Exact same. Yes. Wow. Okay. The interesting thing to me on November Rain mm -hmm. is that rumor is that Slash and Duff really didn't like the song very much. Right. They didn't want the symphony. Right. They weren't true believers on this one like Axel was. Right. And it wasn't even really a symphony. It was a synthesizer, which probably was even worse for them. <laughs> right. The interesting thing to me also, Axel had been kicking this around since 1983. Yeah. Tracy Guns had worked on it with him for LA Guns. Right. It means predating Guns N' Roses. Yeah. Let's talk about the music video for a second. Okay. The music video has everyone has the whole every girlfriend every crew member stephanie seymour and axel get married yeah and then later he's at her funeral yeah slash is in charge of the ring at the wedding and <laughs> then he goes outside it's funny because they're at obviously they're inside a big church yeah which was shot in los angeles yep when he goes out the back door then he's at this tiny church in new mexico little inconsistency there in July of 2018, this is the first music video to surpass 1 billion views on YouTube. The first one. When was that? July of 2018. Okay. Because we mentioned that Inner Sandman. Was it Inner Sandman? It was Nothing Else Matters. Okay. Just like, Just hit like this billion. month. Yeah. Like August. This song is a part of a trilogy. You've got November Rain, you've got Don't Cry, which you've already listened to, and then Estranged, which is on the two, next album. Right. right? It's, on, it's on part two. I mean, this song's long. This song is almost nine minutes long. Mm -hmm. I can remember like being at home and this video coming on and thinking, I really want to watch this, but I don't think I have the time. <laughs> <sighs> Let me we just at least get to, to Slash's guitar solo and then I can get. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome guitar solo. Yeah. Beautiful, sweeping song. This music video cost over $1.5 million to make, making it one of the most expensive music videos of all time. Okay, so at the end of the video, it says inspired by or based on or something like that, the short story Without You by Del James. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. And so I think if you want to know why she dies, since that's not answered in the video, you have to read that story. Awesome. I haven't, I've never read it. No, me neither. Okay, I've got some great stuff I want to talk about. 
Okay. All right. Yeah. One of the things that inspired him time-wise, I'm not sure how this lines up, but when he saw what Tommy Lee had done on Home Sweet Home, uh-huh. he knew he wanted to incorporate piano into and make this grand song. Right. So right. Home Sweet Home impacts this song a little bit. I think that's a really cool story. Yes. This song to me is very Layla. You get the pianos in there and then you've got that break in the middle where you're like, um, oh, November rain's over. No, it's not. And Layla, like, Layla is very much the same way. Like after the guitar solo goes into kind of a different sounding song. It's like three songs in one. Yep. Carrie Underwood plays this live, which I think that'd be Carrie cool to see. Underwood does everything live. She does Home Sweet Home, too. I know, yeah, right? All right? I mentioned this before, but this song was number one in Colombia for 60 weeks. That's nuts. That's over a year in the number one spot. And I told you that Axel was playing November Rain in Colombia, and it started to rain. And he thought, and this is super appropriate to have this wonderful, majestic song, this super cool Prince-like Purple Rain moment. Pretty cool. That is cool. Andy Morahan directed the music video. This is the same guy that Axel was dry humping next to in the freight elevator. <laughs> Andy Morahan directed Faith and Father Figure by George Michael. Oh, that's right. Flashback to heard, our... I knew I had heard that guy's name before. Flashback to our George Michael episode versus in excess. We mentioned that church in New Mexico. Uh-huh. That church that Slash comes out of, that small church in New Mexico. Yeah. It was in the movie Silverado. Yeah. The big church that they're in, the guy who is acting as priest for the uh, wedding. Yes. Actual priest. Really? Yeah. I don't think he was practicing anymore, but he had been before. Love this song. Love it. It's it, To me, it's one of the big it, 10 pole songs of the 90s. It is this album. Use Your Illusion 1 is November Rain. Yeah. I mean, I love Don't Cry, Live and Let Die is a cover. This is the album. Well, we talked, you and I talked, we're going to give you our favorite song from the album. Yep. Our least favorite song from the album. Yep. And maybe an undiscovered gem. To me, it's November Rain. It's, this is the best song on Use Your Illusion 1. We done with this one? Yeah. Sometimes you need some time on your own. <laughs> now we're moving on. <laughs> this song's called The Garden. So to me, this is the undiscovered gem. This is my undiscovered gem on this album. I think this is a great song. Another song written prior to Appetite for Destruction. Mm -hmm. This song has Alice Cooper rapping. <laughs> what is not to like about this song? Uh, the interesting thing to me is when they were making this song, mm -hmm. Axel was singing the vocals. Yeah. And Slash made the comment, you sound like Alice Cooper. <laughs> right? Right. And so they had done a song, like a cover of an Alice Cooper song. And so they thought, well, let's just see if Alice Cooper wants to do it. So they call him up, say, hey, Alice, we've got this song we want you to work on. Alice 
Alice Cooper knew Axel's reputation as a perfectionist uh-huh. and Guns N' Roses' reputation as being very slow movers. Mm-hmm. And he said, okay, guys, I will come and I will sing on this song for you. Okay. But I've got a tea time in an hour. (laughs) (laughs) Literally an album that took four years to make. Alice Cooper did his part in one hour. Nice. I don't know if you've seen the music video on this one. Didn't get played on MTV very much because it's all about strippers. (laughs) This song was written by Axl Rose, Del James, and Westar King. You know, Westar King, their buddy who died of a drug overdose, Mm -hmm. the guitar that he used to help write some of these songs was stolen by druggies when he overdosed and they were cleaning him out for all his work. Also, little known fact, Alice Cooper was given a platinum record for Use Your Illusion 1 due to this song, uh, but that, that platinum record was stolen when this house was broken into. This song, The Undiscovered Gem, The Garden, moving on. All right. The next song, not to be confused with The Garden, is called Garden of Eden. It's a It's just spitting out a bunch of lyrics again on Axel. I don't like the song. I don't either. I don't either. This I know a lot of people who think this is a great song. No. It's fast, it's repetitious, it's annoying. Punk, it's annoying. It's yeah, it's not good. This was released as a single, September 17th, 92. It had a music video that actually had a bouncing ball going over the lyrics. I'm not kidding. Oh my gosh, that's a fast moving ball on this song. If you really want some good commentary on it, Beavis and Budhead covered this song. (laughs) Shut up, Beavis. This was one of the only songs that they wrote while they were in Chicago in 89. Okay. Slash, Duff. Steven, go out to Chicago. Axel's like, hey, let's meet in Chicago and work on new stuff. Mm -hmm. They go out there. He doesn't show up for two weeks. This is one of the songs they completed during that time. Mm -hmm. This is one of those songs that he didn't want to hear when he came and started working on November Rain. Right. This video was shot the same day that they shot the yesterday's video. They were sitting around. They're like, we got all the cameras here. We're all here. Might as well. Might as well. They did this video in one take, and it was one of those like fisheye uh, camera lenses. Yeah. When you look at it, they're all, it's all right up in their face. They're all jumping around right into it. They did it one take. They knocked out two videos yesterday's and Garden of Eden, same day. Done with this one? Very done. <laughs> the next song is a song called Don't Damn Me. Speaking of Beavis, I, 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 it's like a Bugs Bunny uh, sound effect right there. This one's actually okay. Of these songs that are not, you know, well known, this is one of the ones I like a little bit. Better. This was on the list of hidden gems for me. I yeah. love this song. Yeah. Slash has come out and said that this is one of his favorites from mm-hmm. Usual Illusion One. Yeah. It's got that great guitar, super fun. It's it's high energy. It's it's good. They don't sing the song live because the vocals are too high. I wanna cry, sometimes I could get even so 
which is crazy because Garden of Eden seems like a way harder song to sing. Right. This song was written in response to the critics over the song One in a Million. Oh. Okay. Okay. That's enough of Don't Damn Me. Okay. Good song. Not yeah. a single. Right. It's pretty good. I like it. There's a lot of songs on these albums. Yes. Yeah. All right. Next song is called Bad Apples. All right, D, so what do you think about Bad Apples? Another very bluesy one. I, I actually kind of dig it. Strong blues influence again. Do you like apples? I got a number. How do you oh. like them apples? <laughs> uh, just kidding. Nice. Just kidding. What, seriously, so what did you think? Uh, I mean, it's kind of a skipper for me. Yeah, it's not as bad as some of the others for me. I, I, I could listen to that one before some of the others where Axel's just spitting out the lyrics. This one at least has a melody to it. And it's, I will say this about the songs on this album is that the music is good on every single song. I may not like what Axel has done with the lyrics and how he, and melodies on some of them. But the band is on point on every single song. More saloon rock, more honky tonk, more piano. Yep. Next song is called Dead Horse. Sick of this life. Not that you care. I'm not the only one with whom these feelings I share. Nobody understands. What while we're here. All right, so this song sounds like Nirvana, like the very beginning of it. It's very Nirvana unplugged, but then it changes dramatically. Then it kicks in yeah, to kicks Guns N' Roses. Yeah, no. Okay, so just a couple of tidbits on Dead Horse. I know that our buddy John Reed of the 30-something movie podcast yeah. and the podcast full of kryptonite. Yes. Go subscribe. <laughs> go subscribe right now. Subliminal message. Uh, he's a big fan of this song, Dead Horse. Okay. It's all right. Uh, not my favorite. Even though this was never released as a single, there was a music video made on this one in 93. Okay, this song was written by Axel. And then also at the very end of the song, you get the audio of a fast forwarding sound, uh, which I think is totally appropriate on this one. Moving on. All right. And finally, we get to the song called Coma. Tell me how you feel about Coma. Okay, so Coma is one of those ones that I was not familiar with before we started doing this. I didn't own Use Your Illusion 1 whenever it came out. I think I actually did own Use Your Illusion 2. But Coma, it's kind of epic. It's one of those throwback to the 70s, like full on, you got a long, drawn out song. You call me in a coma. I 
No chorus. I think it like revert, you know, repeats a verse maybe a little bit here and there in a 10 minute long song. That's kind of crazy. It's darker. It's got some anger to it. Throws out a couple of cuss words, which was appealing when you're 15 or 14 or whatever. Right. Like Slash had written the music for this thing, this giant mammoth of a song that they have. And Axel felt a bit overwhelmed at having to write the lyrics for this thing but he threw it back to an overdose. Like he had tried to take a bottle of pills. That was the inspiration for the song. So that's pretty tough in and of itself. But the amazing thing that I did not know, they did this song in one take. Played it together, one take, and that was it. What? I did not know that. Yes. Glad I got to blow your mind on that one because it blew my mind when I heard it. 10 minute long song. One of the fans' favorites off of this album. And they just captured lightning in a bottle, man. definitely one that you hear as a quiet masterpiece people love this song yeah it took some growing for me to appreciate it but uh it's different there's a great interview that kurt loader had with axel kurt loader's kind of like well you know you worried about any of these songs he's like oh well yeah one of them there's one that's uh like 11 minutes and 45 seconds long and has no chorus (laughs) nice We talked about how this was written during Slash's heroin days. Axel mentions his overdose. We've already talked about how Steven Adler's had 28 overdoses so far. You like this one then, huh? Masterpiece? Yeah. Yeah, I I don't know that I would... I mean, definitely a lot of people think it's a masterpiece. I don't know that I would call it a masterpiece, but it's definitely worthy. Like, it is... You know what I thought of? This is this to me is like a next chapter for Welcome to the Jungle. Like it's got that same type of sound, same type of feel going from you're going to die to you're in a coma. Well, I mean, hey, maybe so. Maybe that's yeah. maybe part two. Maybe so. That's that's interesting. It is Guns N' Roses longest song to date at over 10 minutes long. Axel actually described this song on MTV. He was talking about how this song was Slash's baby, but when he wrote the lyrics, he talked about when he overdosed. In his words, he said, I just grabbed a bottle of pills in an argument and gulped them down. I ended up in the hospital, but I like that I wasn't in the fight anymore. My first real thoughts were, you haven't toured enough. The record's going to be forgotten. You've got work to do. Get out of this. So I woke myself up and got out of that coma and got back to work. Slash then says, I wrote coma in my heroin delirium, but that's a song that I'm still proud of. All right. So that is it for Guns N' Roses Use Your Illusion 1. We kind of alluded to this. I want you to give me, give me your best song. Give me your song that you would cut. And give me like a uh, one off the beaten track that you like. Okay, so I don't. Re- it's not really off the beaten track, but Dustin Bones is one that I really enjoyed that I hadn't been super familiar with before. Best one is definitely "Don't Cry" for me, and so then that leaves me with the one that I get rid of, which is probably the first song in the album. I like. I still like. I said I like the music, but the, I think he just destroys it with his lyrics and and 
delivery. Okay. So for me, my best song is November Rain, uh-huh. followed closely by Don't Cry. I think they're both epically beautiful, awesome ballads. Off the beaten track for me, I would definitely say The Garden. I, I agree with you, Dustin Bones. And then also Don't Damn Me. And then the one that I would cut, honestly, it's going to be Garden of Eden. Okay. So we reached out to Russ at the Infectious Grooves podcast and asked for his opinion on these two Use Your Illusion albums and Metallica's Black album. Here's what he had to say. Hey, everybody. This is Russ from the Infectious Groove podcast from over in Detroit, Michigan. And I was reached out to by Jason and Dee to ask for uh, my quick thoughts overall on the Black Album and Use Your Illusion 1 and Use Your Illusion 2. I will tell you that I think the Black Album got hated on by a lot of Metallica fans just because the sound was so different. But I never really bought into that when the album came out because, in my opinion, the band was had just finished making some of the best thrash metal records of all time in a row they were already on top of the mountain like there really wasn't anywhere else to go in a different direction so i was very happy that they were trying to do something different at the time Uh, and not only were they trying to do something different but they did it very very well now use your illusion definitely gets dogged a lot and the terms you always hear come up as people always say oh it's too long or oh it's way too bloated Uh, i couldn't disagree more instead of a term like bloated the term i always use to uh, describe use your illusion one two is ambitious. Uh, I mean, sure, there's some bad songs on Use Your Illusion 1 and 2, like Shotgun Blues, uh, Get in the Ring. There's actually a hit that a lot of people like that I don't. Garden of Eden was a fairly big hit that a lot of people like, and I'm not a huge fan of that. But there, then there's incredibly underrated songs on Use Your Illusion 1 and 2, like uh, Locomotive, Bad Apples, Coma, 14 Years, Breakdown. And that's in addition to some fantastic covers, their version of Live and Let Die. Uh, and they finally committed to a studio version of Knocking on Heaven's Door. That's great as well. So with everything going on around the band and the egos and and everything that that was going on around Guns N' Roses at the time, to me, it's a miracle that Use Your Illusion was even released, let alone to have as many incredible songs as it does on it. So, you know, again, while some people want to say, oh, that's, you know, it's too bloated. uh, For me, it's definitely just ambitious, which is great. So for my ranking of the three albums, uh, in number three, I would put the Black Album. Number two, I would put Use Your Illusion 1. And then of the three, the one that comes in as the best for me is Use Your Illusion 2. I don't have anything against the Black Album at all, but I just think the Use Your Illusion records are better overall because of their ambitious nature and the diversity of the tracks involved. Uh, for me, the biggest argument for uh, Use Your Illusion 1 comes from November Rain and then the rest of the record with tracks like uh, Bad Apples, Don't Damn Me, Coma, which is amazing. Some of the best lyrics. Axel ever wrote are on the complete outro to the song Coma. But Use Your Illusion 2 has a lot of greatness spread throughout the album, uh, right from the first track on, uh, with Locomotive and Estrange being enough, honestly, to uh, carry the victory for me of Use Your Illusion 2 over Use Your Illusion 1. Then you have stuff like 14 Years and Breakdown that just pad the lead, in my opinion. And then on top of that, uh, honestly, the, the alternate lyrics of Don't Cry that are found on Use Your Illusion 2 are way better than the lyrics to Don't Cry on Use Your Illusion 1. So, again, thanks for asking my opinion on the topic. This is Russ from the Infectious Group Podcast. And that's how I feel about uh, the Black Album and Use Your Illusion 1 and 2. Not to take away from anybody else who's contributed, but what a great analysis that was, right? But I mean, hey, the guy's got his own music podcast. Of course, it's going to be a great analysis. I loved it. I loved what he had to say. I mean, he nails it, right? I mean, he's got several songs that he thinks were underrated. A couple of bloated ones, a couple of ones that need to go, kind of like you and I. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Russ nailed it right on the head. I mean, ambitious is the right word to use. I think he's totally like, he's hit the nail on the head. It is ambitious. I mean, not only do we have two full albums released at the same time, but both of those albums 
have nearly an average of 15 songs each, right? So that's that's impressive in and of itself. So it'll be interesting to see where you and I fall on Use Your Illusion 1 versus Use Your Illusion 2 versus Black, but he's definitely given us some food for thought. Russ, thank you very much. That's Russ at the Infectious Grooves podcast. They have a great show over there. If you like music, they're a great place to, to go check them out. Yeah, do that. Go subscribe to those guys. All right, that does it for our Use Your Illusion 1 episode. Come back next week. We will dive into Use Your Illusion Part 2. Only 14 songs on that one. Yeah. Whoosh. This is an undertaking. This was tough. All right. Look forward to seeing you guys then. Don't forget to click the subscribe button. Be sure and follow us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter. And if you're feeling inclined to be an executive producer of an episode, be sure and check out our Patreon page where you can be an executive producer for as little as $5 per month. Mama, take-